Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey there, moms. We are going to begin a series today on doubt. So... <laughs> I get, and I understand that's not very exciting to think about doing a three-week study. I think that's what this is going to be, three or four-week study that we're going to do here together. And I've got pages and pages of notes about this. I actually have a presentation entitled, When Doubt Creeps In. And I just wanted to do this here because in my journey as a mom, as a wife, as a daughter, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a homeschool mom, I have gone through some pretty serious seasons of doubt. And why I get that this may not be an exciting thing to look at or study or consider, I think it is a necessary thing. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm actually posting this in the month of March. It follows probably one of the hardest months of the year for me, and that's February. Um, I have a daughter that was born in February that for a large part redeemed the month for me, right? But in generally, February is just a hard month for this Texas sunshine loving girl. It's usually a dreary month and it's just sort of hard to get through. And frankly, a lot of my doubts have come up in the month of February. May looms so far in the distance in February in terms of finishing up our homeschool year. And even spring seems like it'll never show up. So I have found the months of February and March to be challenging. And so I wanted to do this study and challenge you and assure you in your moments of doubt that there is hope. So we're going to look at several different things. We're going to look first at doubt, its definition. Do you know what it is and what it isn't, right? And do you know the difference between the different kinds of doubts? And I'm going to focus in on two. And again, I've got pages and pages of notes. So I appreciate your patience in advance. 
The next time we're going to look at doubt's danger, right? Why is doubt a thing? Why ought we be mindful of it and aware of it? And in a real sense, why should we take it seriously and acknowledge it when we have those moments, right? Um, thirdly, we're going to look at doubt's dare. Um, when we have that moment, I'm going to suggest it's an opportunity. And so I want to frame the opportunity, the doubts dare. That's our third week. And then or our third session, either way. And then finally, I want to talk about what it looks like to defeat doubt. And through all of this, I'm going to give you passages of scripture to examine. We're going to talk about different people in the Bible. And so, yeah, it's going to be really rich, I hope. And I really look forward to your feedback. Let me know what you think. I would love, love, love to hear your story and how God brought you through because there's a variety of different things that, that trigger doubt, right? And we're going to look at some of those things, but I cannot possibly do an exhaustive list in our time. But as we get started, I wanted to say that one of the things I love about the Word of God, I've got my Bible right here, never far from me, is there are three things that come to mind when I think about how much I love God's Word. One is how raw it is. The Word of God is literally unedited. I mean, these are people's stories, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. There's no one in here that's perfect except Jesus Christ. And over and over and over, God uses these incredibly flawed and imperfect people. Incredibly flawed and imperfect people just like you and me. He invites them to participate in his good, pleasing, and perfect plan over and over and over. And I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging to me. This is not cleaned up. I, I think that if I had... When I read this book and I think, you know, I'm not sure that I would want my story included in Holy Writ, right? Except to say that I believe in the power of redemption, right? So the first thing that I love about God's Word is how raw it is. It's unedited. It's unfiltered. These are the raw stories of the men and women that God chose to weave into his master plan. And that grants me hope because I'm imperfect and I'm flawed. And so I can know that even in my imperfect state, God can use me and he can use you. So first, the, the word of God is raw. Second, it's relational. It's all about the relationships over and over and over. These people's relationships with each other, their relationships with the God, their dependency on God, their seeking God, all it's relational, right? And that's what we were made for. In the beginning, when God created Adam, he names all the animals and he realizes there's not anything here for me, Right. How powerful was that, that God allowed Adam to come to that conclusion, right, on his own? It, he, he longed for someone like him, and God met that need, right? So right from the beginning, God made us relational creatures, and all through the biblical narrative, we see that over and over again. And as we study God's word, right, and we see God's relationship with his people, with his children, and their relationship with each other, and then... Jesus comes, God incarnate, right? And we're invited into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. We see again, just an, a, another dimension of what it means for God's word to be relational. And then finally, raw, relational, and redemptive. We've got the best story ever, right? 
because all of the mistakes, all of the imperfections, all of the flaws are redeemed by the person of Jesus Christ. All of it comes together in God. That's, That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So with those things in mind, I want to talk today about doubt, what it is, what it's not, and the importance of knowing the difference. So first of all, I want to propose to you, and again, not an exhaustive list, but there are five things that I think primarily when people face doubt, I think there are five things that they're doubting about God. Number one, they're doubting that he is indeed God. So we see this often today, people who just deny God exists at all, right? And then you've probably known people in your life who had a circumstance in life or a situation, a tragedy of some kind, who begin to doubt that he is God, right? So many issues with doubt begin with whether or not he's God. Number two, if he is God, people doubt that he's present, People wonder in the face, in the aftermath, in the reverberations of some tragedy, some car accident, some diagnosis, right, that he's even here, right? Because we think if he was actually here, this wouldn't have happened, right? He can't possibly be here. I don't feel him here. I don't sense him here. I feel alone. The silence is echoing, right? And so we doubt his presence. Number three, we doubt that he's able, right? Because if he was able, if he could, if he would, he would have, right? And next, number four, we doubt that he's faithful. So maybe he has before, or maybe he has helped other people or provided for other people or answered other people's prayers, but he hasn't answered mine. So maybe he's just faithful to other people, or maybe he's only arbitrarily faithful, but maybe he, I start to doubt that he's actually persistently and consistently faithful. And number five, we sometimes doubt that he is worthy, that he is worthy of our praise, that he is worthy of our honor, that he is worthy of our allegiance, that he is worthy of our lives, right? It's worth standing up for God, that he is that important. See, when we, when we begin to doubt that he is God, we think that maybe there's something else. When we begin to doubt that he is present, We forget that he goes before us, walks with us, and comes behind us. When we begin to doubt that he is able, we are wondering if he can even save us. Look, if he can save us, and he did through Jesus shed blood on the cross of Calvary, everything else we can count on him to do, right? When we begin to doubt his faithfulness, we we question his love, his grace, his mercy. We begin to doubt that he is worthy. We begin to doubt if if our time would be better spent in other places, if our focus needs to change. See, doubt rears its ugly head when the evil of this world and the fallenness of this world influence us. When we get broadsided, right? Our plans get hijacked. Our ideals, our expectations get shattered. That's when doubt comes knocking. I want to remind you that life will sometimes shake us up, but it need not, it ought not stir our faith. We're going to talk about a few people here today who wrestled with this doubt thing. And I hope that you'll take some time, right, to consider other people. I've got a long list of people and we can't go through all of them. 
But I do believe that God will bring different people in the biblical narrative to your mind or maybe saints or church fathers or martyrs stories that you've known about or heard. And you can be able to see they're wavering. I, I'm reminded of Corey Tim Boom when she and her sister Betsy are arrested and they find themselves in a prison camp in Nazi Germany for trying to protect and actually successfully helping hundreds of Jews, right? And then they finally get caught. And Corey really has some serious moments of doubt. And were it not for the faithfulness of her sister Betsy, wow. Sometimes God provides for us a very faithful friend who holds us physically, a person, right? Sometimes it's just us. But my prayer is that through this, God will bring to your mind those who've gone before you, whether it's in the Bible or maybe it's a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend, that you can remember and follow in their steps faithfully as we face these issues of doubt. Because we're all going to have these. We're all going to have these moments of doubt. But in those moments, I want to tell you, faith holds on in the darkness. Faith holds on in the valley. Faith holds on to discover on the other side that actually it was being held. It was being held in the palm of the Almighty. So I want to look at uh, five different people who line up with those five different doubting points that we just went over and see if you can um, line up with any of these, if any of these remind you of where you might be right now. First of all, we have to talk about Eve, right? And see if you can um, line up with any of these, if any of these remind you of where you might be right now. First of all, we have to talk about Eve, right? So when the enemy, when Satan came to Eve in the garden, what did he say? What did he say to her? What did he whisper to her? Did God really say? Did God really say? Right, right from the beginning, the initiation, the trigger for doubt, the beginning of the fall, the thing that preceded the sin was doubt. And that's what we need to note here. We're all going to have moments where we're like, whoa, what happened? What just, oh my goodness, what just happened? We're all going to have those moments. What we've got to be careful to do is the opposite of what Eve did, right? Eve is an example of someone who leaned into the doubt, right? She leaned into it, right? That was the danger. She immediately was triggered by doubt to commit sin. Did God really say, Mom, I want to say to you today, I want to ask you, is the enemy whispering to you words of doubt about a promise of God? Did God really? Did God really? I heard another teacher talk about another variation on the interpretation of the idea of what did God say or did God really say, sorry, was that the enemy actually said to Eve, you know what? God's holding out on you. He's, you, you can't trust him. What is it in your life right now that the enemy would like you to believe that God's holding out on you? You can't trust him because that's, the lie that the enemy sold Eve. And it triggered 
the initial fall into sin. That's the danger, is that doubt often triggers sin. The second person I want to look at is the people. So the second point that I made on something that people tend to doubt is whether or not God is present. And you remember the people of God that had witnessed the 10 plagues, right? And finally, after all of the 10 plagues, finally Pharaoh goes, go, go, get out of here, right? And they leave, right? And they're going out with great rejoicing. They plundered the Egyptians, right? They've seen the mighty hand of God and they get to the Red Sea and what happens? They panic. They panic because there's this mass of water in front of them and behind them is Pharaoh's army. But what they forget is what's between them and Pharaoh's army. God. In a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God was between them and Pharaoh. And just like God was behind them, God was present with them. And what we know to be true is as Moses held out his staff over the Red Sea, God split the waters and went before them through the water. See, in that moment when Pharaoh's army showed up, those people were tempted despite everything that they had seen, everything that they had experienced. The first Passover, right? They doubted God's presence. Mom, what right now, what circumstance, what relationship are you doubting God's presence? That he, that he's present in that. Maybe it's a circumstance at church. Maybe it's at co-op, right? Maybe it's in your neighborhood or your family. Don't doubt God's presence. He goes before he walks with us and he comes behind. A third thing, like I said a minute ago, that people often doubt is whether or not God's able. Is he? I mean, can he? I mean, maybe, maybe he can, right? And the example for this is Sarah. Remember, Sarah and Abraham were promised a child, the child of promise. In fact, God takes Abraham outside and he goes, you see those stars? Count them if you can. I put those there. I, I put those there. That's who I am. So in that instance, God's not just saying, that's how your descendants will be. He's reminding Abraham who he is. He's saying, yes, I can. Yes, I can. No, no, I get it. You're old. I get it. I get it. But I'm God. I'm God. Mom, right now, what is it that you're doubting whether or not God can? What is it? Because he's God. Yes, he can. Now, I'm just going to quickly say he rarely does it the way I think he's going to. Right? But he always acts on my behalf. Always. For my good and for his glory. Always. He is able. And he is able for you too, mom. Whatever relationship or circumstance. Maybe it's just as, I'm going to say, simple as another way of teaching fractions. Right? Maybe it's with your husband, right? God is able. He is able. That's who he is. A third thing, a fourth thing that people sometimes doubt is whether or not God is faithful. Often this doubt of whether or not God is faithful grows out of 
a disloyalty that we've experienced. Someone's not been faithful to us. We've been maligned. We've been betrayed. And, and that pain, it just sinks into our bones. And if we let it, we allow it to taint our relationship with God. We start doubting his faithfulness because we start equating him with man, fallen man, but he is God. He is God. We see this kind of doubt in the life of Jacob, right? Jacob actually means deceiver, and we see this pattern in his life. He deceives his brother, tricks his brother into giving him his birthright. Instead of just giving his hungry brother a bowl of stew, he negotiates for his birthright, right? But as, as though that weren't bad enough, he goes on with the help of his mother, Rebecca, and deceives his father, Isaac, into giving him the blessing that should have been his older brothers, right? I mean, he puts on, he puts on skin on his arms so he's hairier. He, he lies to his dad. He doesn't just kind of not tell the truth. He actually lies, right? And then once the deception is over, once the blessing is actually given to him, he has to run away, right? Because Esau's going to be mad. And so he takes off and he goes to Laban and he falls in love with a girl named Rachel. And now this time the trickster gets tricked because you'll remember that he works seven years for Laban in order to marry Rachel. But on his wedding night, he discovers that he's been tricked and Laban actually has given him his other daughter, the older daughter, Leah, as his wife instead of Rachel, the woman he actually loved. It's kind of the first time that Jacob gets a taste of his own trickery, right? He eventually marries Rachel also, and, and the story continues. But you'll, under, you'll, you'll remember that at one point in his life, he is headed out with everyone, right? All of his possessions, both of his wives. He has all of these sons. This is where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And... He's a little concerned because he's about to cross paths with who? His brother. His brother. And he's a little panicked, right? And he sends Leah on with all of her stuff. And he's going to send Rachel. And he stay, He lags behind. And this is where we get that scene of this wrestling match with Jacob and the angel, right? Jacob has been willful, right? He's been incredibly willful, and he just wrestles and wrestles all night long. Mom, are you a wrestler? I have been. I refer to myself as a recovering wrestler, right? Jacob was very much a wrestler. Very much a wrestler. Why? Because he doubted God's faithfulness. He doubted God. Are you doubting God's faithfulness that he's going to Fulfill his promises that he's going to provide for you in every way that he said he's going to, that his word teaches. He invites you and I not to wrestle, not to wrestle, but to rest in his faithfulness. And yet the enemy comes, right, and tries desperately to trigger those seeds of doubt. Finally, the people and the period of the judges. So you can read about this in the book of Judges, right? 
These people really, really, the book of Judges is characterized by this cycle over and over and over that they kept going through this cycle, right? They would trust God and he would be good to them and they would have a period of blessing and they would be at peace with their enemies and then they would fall back into sin and idolatry and it would just get worse and worse and they would be oppressed and then at the the bottom of the cycle, they would call out to God, right? They would humble themselves and call out to God and guess what God would do? He would deliver them every time, every time he would deliver them through one of these judges. And there would be a time of great peace and praising God and focusing on God. And then guess what? They would fall right back into the sin and they would go right back into oppression. And then the cycle would start again at the bottom of the, of the cycle. They would call out to God and what would God do? He would deliver them uh, just over and over and over and over. And what were they doubting? I would suggest to you that at the core of the problem, the people in the period of the judges, is they doubted that God was worthy. They doubted that God was worthy. They kept chasing after all of these other gods, thinking that their allegiance needed to be somewhere else. Their time, their devotion needed to be somewhere else. And over and over again, they fell into idolatry. And we think that that's a something that the pagan nations did long, long ago. It is something that is alive and well today. Mom, what competes for your attention, for your worship? What tempts you or draws you away for your allegiance and your time and your money? Anything other than God is an idol. Anything. And it can lead you to doubting God right? To sinful behavior when you doubt if he is worthy. Now, I'm going to say four other final things as we wrap up here for this lesson today on doubt. In one way, doubt can sometimes be helpful, right? Because it helps us. We go, wait just a minute. Hmm. That's a good question. I need to think about that, right? And so sometimes if we are confronted with something, it's good for us to pause and consider so that we don't do something hasty. The problem is, for example, in the life of Adam and Eve, is when that doubt came, they acted. They immediately hasty took a hold of that fruit and bit into it. Hastily, they let that doubt drive them to rash behavior. When we have those moments in our life when we're confronted with something that we don't know or something that we wish God would do something and it's not adding up and we don't understand and we find ourselves in places that we never would have chosen, it would be wise to pause, to pause, right? And assess the situation and not make a hasty decision. Doubt can actually deepen our, our dependence on God. Look at what God did in the life of Abraham. He takes him out. He says, look at all of these stars. I put those there. P.S. That's how your descendants are going to be. Can you even count them? Can you even count them? And, and Abraham had to wait. God made the promise. And Abraham had to wait. And I would suggest to you that often the moments of doubt that God allows, because nothing comes into our life that he does not allow. Nothing. 
the worst possible things that come into our lives, the things that we really don't like, the things that wound and hurt us the most, are never a surprise to him. And those moments when we're just like, ugh, those are meant to grow our dependence on him. And we see that in the life of Abraham. Abraham's life is a life of progression. It begins with go to a land that I will show you. I'm going to give you a son. I give you the son. You have to wait for that, right? And now that son that I gave you, not the first one that you interjected your will. No, no, no. The second one who is actually the son of promise. Isaac, yeah, that's the one. I want you to take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. Look at the life of Abraham. Look at the progression, right? And Abraham, he didn't sleep the night before he got up early to take Isaac. What? What? And yet it says he got up early. He got up early. And he went. And even when Isaac asked, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Listen to what Abraham said. Look at this man who has grown. Abraham says to his son, God will provide. Abraham had progressively grown to a place in his relationship with God that he didn't know how this was going to happen. He didn't know how this was going to work out. But he knew that God would provide his relationship with God through these other situations, through doubt, through striving, through wrestling, had grown, and he had a deeper dependence on God. Doubt can lead to what I refer to as a wrestled rest, a wrestled rest. I remember when the kids were little, and sometimes the boys would get rambunctious. My older two, I'm thinking of particularly, or they'd be running outside right before rest time in the afternoon. They'd come in like a couple of sweaty puppy dogs, right? And they would sleep so hard after a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? I mean, they would wake up, their hair was all tuffed around, you know, all tuffled around their head and they had wrinkles on their face and they were just, they slept so hard at rest time. Have you ever wrestled God like that? Just through a time when you just, you know, the snotty nose, tears off your chin, hot mess wrestle. We just don't understand and you're in so much pain and agony and you're just crying out to him, where are you, right? And then you get to the other side of that because your God's big enough to listen to all of that. And you dare to crawl up in his lap and let him hold you. And you sit there. (gasps) Yeah, I've been there. I've been there. Recently, I've been there right? It's a wrestled rest where we cry out to him on our face and he invites us to sit up in his lap and let him hold us. When we don't understand, when we're exhausted and when we're tired, it says of Jacob that the rest of his life, he walked with a limp marking him, marking that moment of wrestling, right? God's not going to leave us in the wrestle. God wants to go deeper in his relationship with you. He wants you to be able to rest in him. He doesn't want you to wrestle and walk away. He wants you to wrestle well and rest in him. 
That's his invitation. But the temptation of the wrestle is to walk away, to give up, to throw up your hands. And yet he invites you to wrestle well and rest in him. Lastly, doubt can strengthen our conviction and our confidence. I believe we see this so clearly in the life of John the Baptist. And I'm going to invite you to go back and read that story John the Baptist is this on-fire man in the desert and camel skin, eating locusts and wild honey, right? Calling for the people of Israel to repent and people are going out and getting baptized by the Jordan River and he sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that John the Baptist, I mean, on fire for God, gets who Jesus is, proclaiming the good news, humility was embodied in John the Baptist. He's like, yeah, no, no, I'm not the Christ. I'm no, I'm not him. He could have, he could have, he had a platform, he had a following, lots of likes, right? And yet he didn't take it to himself. He knew who he was. He was the forerunner. He was the pointer, but he wasn't the Christ. He wasn't the Christ. So here he is all on fire. He's got it all going on. Jesus comes. He baptizes Jesus, right? Jesus goes off into the wilderness for 40 days. And when he comes back, John the Baptist actually tells his disciples, his followers, his guys, you need to follow him. You need to follow him. Do you hear the humility in that? He knew what his role was. And when the time came, he was like, you need to follow him, not me. John 3.30, I must decrease and he must increase. John got it. He got it. And then John ends up in prison for calling out adultery. And while he's in prison, we have no indication in scripture that Jesus ever visited him. Jesus knew he was imprisoned. And at one point, John the Baptist has his moment of doubt. John the Baptist is like, really? I'm in prison and Jesus hasn't come to see me. And, you know, maybe I was wrong about him. Maybe he's not who I thought he was. And he literally, John the Baptist, sends some of his disciples to Jesus. And, and this is what he, he says. Would, you need to go to Jesus and make sure he's the one. John the Baptist had his moment of doubt. Like I said, the biblical narrative's raw. Nobody perfect. They're all flawed. John the Baptist. And in the Bible, it says that Jesus saw John's disciples coming. And as they were coming, he was healing the blind and the lame and the deaf and the mute. And Jesus said to John's disciples, you go tell John that the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear and the sick are healed. Jesus met John in his moment of doubt with affirmation. Yes, John. Yes, John. I am he. I am. That is the same invitation that you and I have. Look, when we have our moment of doubt, where do we go? We go to the source, just like John the Baptist did. We go to Jesus with our moments of doubt. We cry out to Jesus. We seek him 
in our moments of doubt. Mom, what are you doubtful of? No need trying to hide it. God knows. No need trying to deny it. It's not going to benefit you or anybody around you. But I would encourage you to journal about it. What are your points of doubt? Is it a situation, a relationship, a circumstance, a responsibility, a calling, a vocation? What is it? Where is the enemy trying to really, really get you to doubt who God is? I would invite you again to knowledge of the holy. I'm going to tell you, I really believe the key to battling doubt is getting who God is. When we get who God is, it changes everything. So I would encourage you to get to know who he is so that when the enemy comes, not if, when he comes to whisper those seducing words of doubt into your ear, you can hold on to the God you know is there, the only true God who is able, who is worthy, who is present, who loves you and is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or imagine. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Hey there, it's Carly Mercoulier, host of Therapy and Theology, a weekly podcast that explores popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.